0: morning, everyone. I love that last worship song. Just such a great moment to lead us into this. So uh, man, it is exciting to see you guys here today. Uh, If you're joining us online, welcome as always. Um, If it's your first time hanging out here, you're new to joining us. My name is Zach, and I am not Pastor Mike. I'm subbing in for him today, but I am super excited to be hanging out with you guys here this morning. So I hope you're excited. hope you're ready for God to move, for God to speak to us. It's going to be an awesome, awesome morning. Uh, How many of you guys are parents in this room? Anyone parents? So I'm still, I still feel like a new parent. I don't really know what I'm doing. Even though my kids are four years old, I have twins that are four, I have three kids, um, but it still feels new, and I don't, I don't really know what's going on. But I have learned of this, and maybe you've learned this too, that when you have multiple kids, from a very young age, you can kind of start to pick out which one of your kids are going to be the rebellious one, right? Can't you start to kind of see the signs? they like two years old. I love my daughter, Avery. She's going to be two um, in January, but bless her heart, she's already showing all the little signs of her sass to be our little rebel. I hope not. Pray for me. I hope she stays sweet. But we can see. And even if I had some fun right now and I said, how many of you guys would admit that you're the rebellious one, right? Maybe if you're a teenager and you're like, yeah, that's me. Or in the family, you would say, yeah, I was the rebellious one. I'll admit I was definitely the rebellious one in my family. And my parents, they should have known. They should have seen all the signs from when I was young. When I was about five years old, this is probably by far the worst thing, that I did as a kid. But when I was around five, my parents wanted to go out for a night. So like most parents do, they brought over a babysitter and this poor high school girl that they brought over to watch me and my two younger brothers. At some point during the night when my parents were gone and it was just us, I went into the kitchen. I don't remember doing this, but I crawled up on the counter and I grabbed one of those big steak knives. Okay, so I'm holding it like this with the blade out. And this is the part of the night I actually remember. I remember coming out of the room with the knife and just seeing the girl's shock on her face, like, Zach, put that down. And in my little mind, I'm not trying to kill anyone. I'm just thinking like, hey, this is kind of fun. She's scared. And so I chased her around the house with the knife, like around like three times, around and round and round. And she got it on my hands at some point. Yeah, and she didn't come back. Oh, she definitely was like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. But we should have seen the signs, right? Rebellion. And just to set it up on a more serious note, it's a very like rational fear, however, though, right? For a parent to not want your child to go wayward, right? It's a very rational fear to not want to have your child rebel against you and to rebel against the way that you raised them. And the most obvious reason as to why is because rebellion often destroys relationship. And one of the things we're gonna talk about today, and our conversation is gonna center around this idea that God deeply, deeply desires a personal relationship with us, that He desires us to know Him, that He desires for us to have closeness to Him, but all of us as humans have this natural bent towards rebellion. Right? This is what we call sin. It's the very thing that pushes us away from God. And even if you're new here this morning and you're still kind of thinking about Jesus and checking it out, I don't think any of us would try to make an argument that we're perfect. Okay, we've all done things, said things, thought things that we know are wrong. Therefore, it's no surprise that all churches aren't perfect. Right, we can see this all the time. How many of us have been like on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, and there's another viral video of like some church with some wild theatrics getting posted on there? I mean, it just seems like the media just loves to like hone in when a, a pastor or a church leader like falls from grace, and they get caught up in some kind of moral falling. And obviously, we are here, right, as a church, trying to do our best. But we want to ask ourselves this question today as we get into our text and read our study. We want to ask, like, how do you really know? Like, how do you know when a church has kind of got off course? How do you know when a church has went wayward? How do you know when a church is really following after Christ or when they've become rebellious? And maybe more important for us today, the question we want to ask ourselves is, like, how do you really know when a Christian is really on fire for Jesus or when they've lost their way and got off course? How do you know when a Christian is truly falling after Jesus or when they've started to become what we call a hypocrite, right? One of the things I love about student ministries, so I lead our student ministries, and I love it. There's so many awesome reasons why, and here's one of them, right? Students, they're just honest with you. I mean, you can honestly ask them anything, and they'll just tell you exactly how they feel, what they think. They don't care. They don't think about it. They'll just say, oh, you asked me this question. I'll tell you exactly how I feel. In fact, last Sunday, we got to have a great conversation with them. We're going through 1 Thessalonians, and we're talking about the end times and all this stuff. And as we were talking about it, they were just real honest and they said something that as a pastor, I've actually heard from so many people over such a long period of time. And what they said that I've heard so often over and over and over again is it really comes from Christians, those of us that actually love Jesus, but there's like this hidden anxiety fear of actually meeting Jesus when our life is over, right? There's this fear and the fear stemmed from like, how do you actually like know? Right? How do you actually know what Jesus is going to say to you? Right? How do you know if he's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you evil doer. Right? This is super important for us to understand because Jesus tells us this. He says when our life is over, every single person is going to be told one of two things. Right? He teaches us that in Matthew 25, Jesus gives this parable to illustrate a person who lives their life of faith and obedience, they're going to be told at the end, well done, my good and faithful servant. But on the contrary, in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, we pause right now. You guys ready for this? I hope you're, I, okay, one of us is ready. And if you're not ready, this is a really, really intense verse. And I don't even know why I asked you if you're ready because guess what? I'm saying it anyways. This is a really just, we gotta hear this. I'm just trying to prepare you right now, okay? This is one of those verses that you, it's not fun to read because it's scary. And I'm gonna read it to us right now and explain to us why we're reading it. So here's what Jesus says. On the contrary, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me you evil doers. Right, there's this word new right here. Okay, I want us to notice this, notice that. It's going to be the center word for our conversation here this morning. Right, that what his condemnation was against these evildoers is Jesus said, listen, get away from me. I never knew you. Right? The reason why this is such a huge statement for us is because Jesus says, listen, there's going to be a lot of people who live their life thinking they're going to be told well done. They're going to finally get to heaven. They're going to stand before Jesus on judgment day thinking they did everything great saying, what's up, Jesus? Tell me I'm well done. And in fact, they're going to be told the opposite. Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil doer.'" What we're gonna be studying here today, and I do wanna give you some encouragement. I know a lot of us are scared right now. That's not the point, but it kind of is. Um, uh, The point is not to live our life in fear knowing which one. We're gonna make it really clear. You're gonna leave here today knowing exactly what it looks like to be someone who lives their life as an evildoer and lives their life as someone who's gonna be told, well done. You can have that confidence you're supposed to. But what we're gonna be reading today in Jude is Jude is warning the church, and he's warning us as Christians. He's going, listen, there are false teachers that are slipping their way into the church And they're masquerading themselves as well-done service, but in reality, they're evildoers. Do not follow after these kind of people. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna get into this. I think it's gonna be a good conversation for us. Father, we just come before you right now, Lord, and um, as we open up your word, and as we're gonna read a very um, challenging text here today, Lord, I just pray you take me out of this Allow me just to be humble, and allow the power of your word to come through to us and to encourage us as a church and to align us where you want us, God, because our hearts are, we do not wanna be a rebellious church. We do not wanna be rebellious followers, Lord. We love you and we want to follow after you, Lord. Make that clear to us how deeply you desire to know us here this morning. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Pastor Mike has kicked off this series for us last week. It's called The Good Fight, right? Um, Guarding the Faith, and it's such an awesome series. We're studying this little tiny book called Jude. It's just one chapter right before you hit Revelation, but it's such a powerful one-punch book to read. And really what it does is it's such a powerful word for our church and for Christians to study because, honestly, we know this to be true. We live in a dark world, right, that needs hope, And for many of us, we have found that hope, we have found that peace, we have found the answer, and it's found in the person of Jesus, right? We understand Jesus to be the truth, right? Jesus claimed he came to this earth, he stepped down from glory and came into our life, and he came with a message. And his message was, listen, all of your searchings, all of your yearnings, all of your desires, all of your hopes, everything you need in life can be found in me. I am the truth, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is the truth, and because he is the truth, what the devil has done from the beginning and what he is doing today is he attacks our understanding of what is truth. See, we live in a culture that has taken all the authority off of Jesus as the truth and just given it to everyone. And everyone now is the standard of what is truth, and there's so much confusion about what is actually truth and who actually gets to determine what truth is and Judah's going to be telling us, he's going, listen, do not follow after these deceitful teachings of anyone who tries to confuse on what truth actually is. Remember, there are evildoers that are masquerading themselves as well-done servants. Do not follow after them. And we're going to see Jude is actually going to identify who these people are by three major characteristic traits. He's going to say they are faithless, they are rebellious, and they are immoral. So let's read this right here. Here's what it says. So Jude starts in verse 5, he says, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a, similar way, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Whoo, whoa, right? Like these are intense verses, but what Judah is telling us here is he's explaining very clearly, right? How God punishes and how God deals with sin, how he deals with evil. God does not play around with evil evil. And maybe right now already you're going, hold on, time out, Zach. Hold on, I, I, this is harsh teaching. Doesn't, doesn't God love sinners? Isn't that what this is all about? Don't we come here every single Sunday just to hear Jesus loves sinners? He does. Yes. And if you've never heard this statement, I know many of you have heard this statement, but if you've never heard this, this is such an important statement, right? It's not actually found in the Bible, but it explains what God thinks and explains what's taught in the Bible. And as you're in this process of trying to develop, man, who is this God that I'm trying to know? Who is my creator? This is an important statement I think everyone needs to know. And it's this, that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner, Right, Sin is just anything that is outside of God's design. Right? God created this world in perfection. He created it with a perfect design for our goodness, but it's our sin, it's our rebellion that broke the perfection of his creation. It's our sin, it's our rebellion that broke the perfection of this relationship that he created for you and I. And the church through Jesus is now God's redemptive process to restore things back to himself, to restore his people back to him. And what Judah's saying here is going, listen, beware, faithlessness, rebellion, and immorality, those are not to be a part of God's redemptive church. So you guys want to learn a little something today? (laughs) I'm sure maybe you read these passages. I hope that maybe some of us read it ahead, or maybe you just heard it for the first time right here, and you go like, I came to church on Sunday, and I want to know what that means. Like, that is confusing. Teach me something. So you guys ready for this? Right, well, I'm gonna explain a little bit of what these passages are because what Jude is doing here is he's, re- he's referring back to three Old Testament stories. And he refers to stories, why? Because stories are powerful Right? We you wanna you want know the reason why Hollywood is so popular? It's because we love stories. Right? We love movies because of the stories they tell. Our favorite movie franchises are because they are awesome, epic stories. Right? Star Wars. I know there's a ton of us that love Star Wars, right? Everyone loves Star Wars. Why? Because they just tell such an awesome story, right? Avengers. We love the series of Avengers. Why? Because they got superheroes and Spider-Man and Iron Man and all the cool characters, and it's just awesome. Or my personal favorite, if there's any of these out here, Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. It's so cool. I don't know why. It's just my favorite. I put it at the top of the list for that. But we love these movies and we love these stories. Why? Because they tell such a great story of adventure, right? They're a part of something. All the characters are a part of something so much bigger than themselves, right? It's this epic, great battle of of good versus evil, And I think we're drawn to these fictional stories because we know deep down inside of us, we are right smack in the middle of the greatest story that's ever been. That our human history tells of something so much bigger than any fictional series or movie that we've ever seen. That we are right now, right smack in the middle of the greatest battle of good versus evil. And we are part of a story And what Jude is reminding us here is he's showing us our human history, showing us where we came from through the power of story. And so what he reminds us of in verse 5 is he reminds us of how God supernaturally saved the people of Israel through Moses. This is what's known as the great exodus. And as, uh, as God led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he said, I'm gonna bring you to the promised land. You're gonna be my people. He brought them through the desert, right? And all the people did through that whole entire time was complain. They said, this food is not good. We don't want manna. Give us water. It's dirty out here. Take us back to Egypt. We gotta, all they did was just complain, complain, complain. And then God actually brings them to the promised land of what he told them he was gonna bring them to. And they send a few spies to go look at this land. And what do they see there? Giants. Like not Shaquille O'Neal type giants, like actual giants. And so the few spies that see that, they go, Yeah, no, we ain't going there. That does not look good. And so God looks at them and he says to him, Because you faithless people. Have I not shown you that I am God? Have I not shown you that I have power? Because of your lack of faith, every single one of you will die in this desert, except for two of them, Joshua and Caleb. But he says, every single one of you will die here. It is only your children that will see the promised land. Jude reminds us that the people were judged for their faithlessness, or the second one rebellion in verse 6 Judas connecting to a passage in Genesis chapter 6 where these Elohim these sons of God these angelic beings rebelled against God and they came to this earth and they saw women and they took for themselves wives and they gave these women babies And these babies that were born were now not just human. They were like half deity, half human. And they produced this new race of people that was completely manipulated from how God created humans to be called Nephilim. And they were these giants and they were of great renown and they were wise and they were powerful. But at the core of what they were is they were evil. And because these angels rebelled against God and came to earth, they spread evil across the whole entire earth until the whole world had become so corrupted. Humans had become something so much other than what God had created them for that God picked a Noah, the only one who had been uncorrupted, to to save all of humanity, and God flooded the whole earth. Again, this is not just fairy tale. This is our human story. And the angels were judged for their rebellion And then the last story he gives us, this is out of Genesis 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The best way to think about Sodom and Gomorrah, just take all the immorality from Sin City, Vegas, Hollywood, LA, just combine it all to one, right? They were the first city that was just like completely unhinged in their immorality and sexual immorality, right? And the worst thing they did is what they did is they perverted In every single way, the sanctity of how God created sexuality to be between a man and a woman in monogamous marriage. I mean, even the men of Sodom, it says, um, sought to have sexual relations with the angels that came and visited Lot. And so God wiped them all out, and the people were judged for their immorality. Faithlessness, rebellion, and sexual immorality is that starting to maybe sound a little bit familiar? Does that kind of sound like the world we live in? Does that sound like the influences that are just all around us? And as Judah's warning this, he's saying, listen, these people, these teach these things, who do these things will secretly slip into the church. Are we being aware of how these things might be secretly slipping into our minds and into our hearts? And we come here and we bring these things and we live this way. Are we just becoming maybe a little bit aware of this? What Jude is doing here is he's relating these things to these false teachers and he's reminding us, he goes, listen, God has not changed his stance on how he feels about these things. God has not changed his stance on how he will deal with these things. And these false teachers, unless they repent, they too will face the same judgment. So let's just read up this last part of the verse. It's gonna get better, stick with me here. Here's what Jude says. This is kind of his application towards these false teachers, these ungodly people. In the very same way, On the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Again, what does this mean? Just to summarize this, what Jude is saying here is if you're wondering, like, Michael, Moses, like, where was that? I've never read that before. Where is that in the Bible? It's actually not. It's not in the Old Testament. This is Jude being um, an apostolic pastor, right? And he pulled, this was something from the uh, Assumption of Moses. It was just a writing that was circulating around and Jude pulled from this and used it. Whether it's true or not, we don't know, but here's the point he was making. It was believed that these false teachers, right? Pride was the, was the problem that they were struggling with. And it was believed that they were maybe even trying to function in the spiritual world, whether they were doing deliverances, they were speaking prophecies, something like that, but they weren't doing it on God's power. They weren't doing it on the name of Jesus. They were probably doing it on their own power. They were probably trying to do it by their own intellect, or by their own pride. And Judas reminded them, he goes, listen, even the archangel Michael, right? The one who was probably equal with the devil. Again, it's not God and the devil. That is not how it works. The devil was a created being of God. He is not equal with God. And even the archangel Michael, who could take the devil if he really wanted to, even he humbled himself, does not fight against him on his power, but on the Lord's power. And he says, the Lord rebuke you. Listen, we are not alone in our battle against the devil, it is God within us that the devil fears. Is the blood of Jesus over us that the devil cannot touch us? Is the Holy Spirit guiding us that the devil can't deceive us? I don't know what it is that you feel like, man, I just feel like the enemy is just attacking me right now. I don't know what it is that you feel like the enemy is trying to take from you, who he's trying to take from you. But some of us need to just humble ourselves and say, you know what, devil, it is the Lord that rebukes you. I am not fighting on my own power. The Lord rebuke you. You are not welcome here. More on that in a second, but let's finish reading these verses. It says, yet these people slander what they do not understand and the very things they do not understand by instinct as irrational animals do will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain and they have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. You know, here's probably one of the most important things that we can kind of take away um, from this is that this passage in Jude, did you notice that Jude actually never calls these ungodly people out by what they taught? He never called them false teachers by what they said. He calls them out by the way they live their life. He called them out by what they did. He said they are rebellious, they are faithless, and they are immoral. Immoral. The whole letter about Jude, everything we're gonna be reading and understanding through our journey through this is Jude trying to explain that it's God's grace through Jesus that demands a whole life response, right? These people were ungodly because of their immoral way of living that actually denied the truth of Jesus. It's Jesus who said in John 14, six, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, obey my commandments. And it's often the way that we live that is the best indication of what we actually believe. It's what we say, it's what we do, it's the choices we make, it's how we interact with people that actually is the indication of what we actually believe. So what do we do with this message today? Right, what do we do with this info? Remember, we started with this question. We said, man, how do we know when a church gets off course? How do we know when a, when a Christian gets off course? Because obviously, until Jesus comes back, don't expect there's, ever, there's never gonna be a perfect church. Right? We can just understand there and start there. There's never gonna be a perfect Christian, okay? We can start there. So how do we know when someone is actually living for Jesus or when they've got off track and they're in a place of being rebellion? Like, how do we actually know? Uh, I wanna read us a story right now that I heard, and um, this might hit home kind of close, right? If you have a, a someone in your life or a child especially in your life who um, is in just a place of rebelling against you, just in a place of not living in the way that you raised them, it's hard. Right? I'll admit, like I, my dad's hair is gray, and he will say, "It was probably because of me." Right, and I and I've walked through that, and it's you know a lot of things I'm dealing with, and just remembering that, and asking for forgiveness, and now I'm so scared for my own kids. I'm like, oh gosh, hope that doesn't happen too, and just all of that. But I want to read us this story right now. Right, this is a story of a teenage daughter who who just was rebelling against her mother. Right? And obviously as she was rebelling against her and the, there was just got intense fighting, she was a teenager and um, along with all the teenage angst, but just with the complete rebelling, it was bringing a lot of fighting in the home and um, disrupting their relationship and their struggle between this mom and, and her daughter um, reached a peak when um, the daughter got arrested for driving under the influence, right? She got hit with the DUI. So the mom goes down to the station and, and pays her bail and gets her out and takes her home and they don't talk for, for the whole next day. Eventually, the mom brings her back and says, hey, I want to talk to you. And when she sits the daughter down, she hands her a box, like a gift that's wrapped. And so the teenage daughter, right, with all of her attitude, she's like, mom, what's this? Right? She takes the box, and mom's like, just open it. And she goes, whatever. so she opens it up, and she sees a rock inside. She's like, really, mom, a rock? Like, what does this mean? Like, why are you giving me a rock? And the mom says, you know, just read the card. There's a card in there. She's like, oh, whatever. So she grabs the card, opens it up, and As she starts to read the card, you just see tears start streaming down the daughter's face. And when she finishes the card, she runs to her mom and and gives her a big hug. And what the card says is this rock is more than 6,000 years old. That's how long it's gonna take before I give up on you. Listen, I think the reason why so many of us have like this hidden anxiety of meeting Jesus and standing before him, we love Jesus and we, and we want to obey him, but we know if we're honest with ourselves, we still struggle with faithlessness at times. We still struggle with like giving in to those rebellious temptations that we know are not good. We struggle at times with sexual morality and these thoughts that we don't want and these behaviors that we still have. And we go, man, is God gonna judge me? Does he love me? What's gonna happen here? but I read us this story because, man, does this not describe the kind of love and grace that God has for us? Remember what we're saying here, what this title is right here. Why is Jude writing us this? Why is he warning us this? Because he's saying, guard the faith. Don't lose track of what our faith is. And what is our faith? It's that Jesus hates sin, but he loves the sinner so much that he was willing to take our punishment for sin so that he could take sin off the sinner. It's our faith in Jesus that actually gives Jesus the authority to take all of our guilt, all the things, our past, present, and future sin off of us and onto the cross where he was. That it's our faith in Jesus that actually allows us to transform from an enemy rebelliousness of God to a child of God. And why, you gotta wonder, like why? Why, if God hates sin so much, if this is his feeling towards rebellion, why does he love us so much? Why does he love us despite our mistakes, despite our rebellion, despite the things we struggle with, why? And Jesus tells us plainly, in the moments before he's gonna go to the cross, he came to this earth and he came with a message and he came for a purpose. And now moments before he's about to go to the cross, he says this just like epic prayer in John 17. And in the very beginning of the prayer, in verse 3, look what he says here. He says, now this is eternal life, meaning this is everything. This is what it's all about. This is the thing. This is the reason for everything. This is eternal life, that they know you. There's that word again. It's the same word that Jesus said, the very reason why these are evildoers. He says, man, get away from me. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you say. It's not about your religion. I never knew you. And here he is again, about to go to the cross, just proclaiming the whole reason I'm doing this. The whole reason why we're doing all of this, God, is so that they might know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is everything, the whole entire Bible from front to back, everything about Jesus, everything he said, everything he did, everything he accomplished, everything about our human story, all comes down to this one thing that God desires to know you and that he desires for you to know him. And the only way to truly know God, Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. The way that we truly know God is through faith, surrender, and obedience. It's the road that leads to destruction, right? It's what we do is the indication of what we believe. The road that we live to destruction is a life of faithlessness, rebellion, and immorality. The road that leads to life, as Jesus said, and life to the full is a life of faithfulness, surrender, and obedience, So I want to just leave us here with just two action points to just hear this and go, okay, what do I do with this? What does this mean for me? Like, how do I live with this? I want to just walk us through two things. This would be um, a great time if you take notes or you just want to remember this. But here's the first thing, is to take captive every thought. Okay, look what uh, the apostle Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians, he says this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that seeks itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that takes our understanding away from the truth of Jesus, what our faith is, we demolish that. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. As I was just kind of preparing this message and just thinking about it, I was sitting and I was just kind of thinking about these ungodly people, these false teachers that um, Jude was talking about here. Just thinking like, how did they get there? Right, because very often you don't. I mean, very rarely I feel like does someone like see a church and say, "I'm going to destroy it." Right? They have to be like really evil to do that. Oftentimes, I don't see it happening that way. Because I was also thinking about just like like so many pastors, pastors that I've looked up to, amazing church leaders who have done so much for the kingdom of God and then find themselves in a place to have to step down because of some kind of moral falling, whether it's an incident or things get revealed. You're like, "Holy cow!" Your whole life you were doing this, but you were a pastor. Things like that happen. I go like, "Man, how does that? How does that happen?" How do people get to that place? And oftentimes, I don't think people start out with evil intentions. I think most of us as Christians start off with good intentions, but we too, if we are not careful to how the devil might start getting lies inside of our mind, those thoughts that we harbor in our mind will find its way into our heart. The only way that we can stay on the road of faithfulness, surrender, and obedience comes through humility and repentance, constant humility and repentance and reflection. It's when pride starts to get into us. It's when our own desires and selfish ambitions start to take over. Do we find ourselves steering off course and we end up on the road of faithlessness, rebelliousness, and immorality? So when we notice that, right? Those thoughts are going to come into our mind. It's going to happen. And when we notice those thoughts are entering and the battle starts to happen, we might need to literally say, Lord, I rebuke you. We cannot let bitterness harbor in our mind, right? We can't let those thoughts of anger just harbor in our mind. We can't let those sexual perverse thoughts when they enter just harbor in our mind. We literally need to say out loud sometimes, bitterness, the Lord rebuke you. You are not welcome here. Anger, the Lord rebuke you. You cannot stay here in my life. Lust, you, the Lord rebuke." you, cannot stay here in my life. There is a battle that all of us are going through, but we are not alone in this battle. We have the power of Jesus who has won everything, and we call on his power to actually transform us. I want to hear some Lord rebukes you out in the parking lot today. <laughs> Just don't point at anyone. That'd be really awkward. <clears throat> here's the second thing, and here's what we'll end with today, right? Loving Jesus is obeying Jesus, right? This is the verse I was saying earlier, John 14, 6. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, or John 14, 15, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. Again, the biggest indication of what you actually believe is how you live your life, right? Obeying Jesus becomes really easy when you love him because when you love Jesus, it becomes easy to trust him. And when you trust him, it becomes really easy to obey him. You know, one of the things I love about being um, a parent, especially a parent of, of young kids, is <clears throat> when they actually trust you, right? Especially when they're little, they don't trust anything. They're just like scared of everything. It's interesting. But when they actually trust you, it's like, it feels so good. Right, one of the things I do just for fun is we have this like, ledge on, on my stair top, and I'll put my kids on there, and I'll just kind of like, teeter them back. Don't call CPS on me. I'll teeter them back just like a little bit. Um, just beca- and at first, they were like really, really scared. But I wanted them to know, like, you can trust me, even though they're fearful. Just wanted to put in their mind, like, when I'm holding you, you can trust me. And over time, they began to like it. But I wanted to share this story with you guys. Just last weekend, I was with my daughter, just having some alone time with her, her and Aaliyah, uh, me and Aaliyah, and I took her to the park. And we were at the park, and they had all the slides and swings. And she's going on every swing, going on every slide, but the big slide, she was too scared to go on that one. All right, I knew she would have fun. I wanted her to get over her fear. I wanted her to push her outside her comfort zone. I wanted her to go down the big slide. Obviously, I wasn't going to force her, like. But I was trying to encourage her. I was like, "Come on, Ellie, let's try the big slide. You're going to love it." And she was like, "No, no, no, no." Like she was, wasn't having it. So finally, we're done. We've been there long enough. We get ready to go home, and we're on our way to the car. And all of a sudden, she just stops, like right in the, like, halfway of the car, and she says, I have to go back. And she takes off running back to the thing. And by the time I realize, by the time I catch up to her, I realize she's going to go on the big slide, like all on her own. She climbs to the top. I'm like, Are you going to go on the big slide? She's like, Yes. And I got just enough time to like, capture the video. It's really short, but here's just a video of it. Go. <clears throat> Whoa. Right, it was just such this cool moment. Like there's just these little moments in life where even though she was fearful and even though she was scared, she wanted to trust me. Right? She wanted to look at her father and say, I'm, I'm gonna push myself past my fear. I'm gonna do something I wouldn't do, but if you say I should do it, I wanna do it. Right? Obeying God just becomes so easy for us when we actually love him. Right, God, he doesn't need your perfection. He's not looking for your religion He's not looking for you to try to put on a good front and act like you're a perfect person and memorize the whole Bible and follow every single rule and have this outer shell of like, I'm a great person. He doesn't care about any of that. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him. He wants you to know him. It's faith that is the love language of God. You see, when we live our life in that way and we have this desire, this deep desire to say, God, I just wanna know you, it begins easy to trust him. You're gonna say, God, I, I, I know I don't wanna forgive this person and I wanna punch him in the face, but God, I trust that forgiveness is the best way. I trust that your ways are better. God, I know I, I'm struggling and I, I know I have these thoughts and these desires, but God, I'm gonna date in the right way. I'm gonna cut out these things. I'm not gonna cut out these websites, God, because I trust that your ways are better. God, I know it's hard for me, God, but I'm going to spend these moments, I'm going to make it a priority every single day to spend time in prayer, to spend time in your word, to spend time in worship, because I trust you, God, that if I draw close to you, you will heal me. If I draw close to you, this will be what I'm looking for. I trust you in this, God. The greatest thing that God desires is for us just to be personally knowing him. I want to read you this last quote and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll move on. But I want to just say this. this is from Billy Graham, right? The great Billy Graham, right? The great, if you don't know who he is, he's arguably the greatest evangelist of the last generation, right? Just spoke the gospel to probably millions of people. Um, at the end of his life, they asked him this. They said, Billy Graham, if you could do your life over again, would you do it the same, right? Kind of like jokingly asking him, like, of course you would. Like you, you've done more for the gospel than anyone in our lifetime has, but he said, no, I wouldn't. And they're like, what? He's like, no, I wouldn't do it the same. He said, I would study more. I would pray more. I would travel less, take less speaking engagements. I took too many of them in too many places around the world. If I had to do it over again, I would spend more time in meditation, prayer, and just telling the Lord how much I love him. The greatest thing that we can do in our life is just to know God, right? There's gonna be a lot in this study and in this series and from Pastor Mike about what it looks like to be charged up as a church, to bring our faith to others, right, to make a difference for God's kingdom. But just the reminder here this week is for us just to stop and go, God, there is nothing greater that I can do with my life. There is nothing greater that you desire from me than just to let me know you. It's the pinnacle of everything that we know our creator And he has made a way through Jesus. And we are not perfect. We do not do things right. We might have these struggles, but we can know with confidence that we don't have to worry, ah, this is gonna be a scary moment. I don't wanna see Jesus. When we see him, first of all, he's gonna have a bigger smile on his face than we can. He's gonna be more excited to see us than we are to see him. And it's not gonna be like, oh, nice to meet you, Jesus. It's gonna be friend. It's gonna be my friend. And it's gonna be a moment of reuniting. And it's gonna be so special. And we can start to know him now. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.